0: at LuckyLandSlots.com.
1: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Fracas. Fraca. Hello, and welcome to the Slate Political Gab Fest for March 9th, 2017. The Is This the Worst Bill in History edition? I am David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. I'm obviously putting some color on our title today yeah, Emily it's Bazelon to the worst villain history. I know I'm just okay. setting it up uh, Emily Bazelon of the New York Times magazine is Yawn is in Yawn over there hello Emily hello hello and John Dickerson is with me here in DC host of face the nation hello hi John. John's heading to Georgia this morning he's going to Georgia he has taken a midnight train to Georgia also a mid morning flight to Georgia. We had a ridiculously busy and pretty disheartening week. The world is moving too fast for us. But we're gonna try. We're gonna try to stay current. And we're gonna do that by first talking on this week's GabFest about Ryan care or possibly Trump care, or maybe it's just Obamacare light. It's here. Does the GOP's repeal and replace bill have a chance? Then President Trump's outrageous wiretapping charges against President Obama, and will anything come of them? And then the assault on Planned Parenthood. Will Planned Parenthood's federal funding survive the Obamacare bill, or will it survive the Trump presidency? Plus, we'll have cocktail chatter, and in Slate Plus, the fracas at Middlebury College involving controversial conservative scholar Charles Murray and some incredibly ill-behaved middlebury college students if you are not yet a slate plus member go to slate.com slash GabFest Plus. and don't forget we have a live show here in washington dc at the warner theater on wednesday may the 10th you can go to slate.com slash live for more information it's going to be for the trump hundred days uh i think i realized we, we had a live show in los angeles last week the live shows are really fun we love doing them we you love. just
0: realized that? No, I didn't just realize it. Later. I
1: didn't just realize it, but it was really fun. Uh, you know, It was, really, it was fun. really fun to do it. I love doing the live shows. I think we all love doing them. And so we hope you guys come out and uh, it's going to be a news action-packed moment and time for a very interesting show. So join us at the Warner Theater on May 10th in DC, slate.com slash live.
0: I have a quick question. Is fracas the right pronunciation? I thought I the word was pronounced to pronounce fracas, fracas,
1: fracas, fracas. fracas. Didn't we have just this the, exactly this kind of conversation on our show recently? Yeah, frankis. yeah,
0: about lugubrious, maybe. But yeah, that was, that was, about that was
1: definitional, definitional, not Fra- yeah, This
0: is how to pronounce it. I've, I'm, I'm, I lo, I hesitate to question you because you usually know more about language than me. But I've never heard anyone say
2: before. I've
1: never, n- I've heard people say freakus over and over again. John, would uh, you
2: I've heard people say both. I'm <laughs> maintaining my Kevin, traditional
1: posture. Kevin, intern Kevin, is on on the Google. He is confirming, with a thumbs up, fr- fracas. But is it fracas and, frac- and fracas? Is it fracas and fracas or just fracas? Fracas. Wait, so Kevin's fracas. claim, Kevin's claim, oh, no. which does not, is <laughs> no. unfortunately, is not going to stand up <laughs> to, to scrutiny, is that the U.S. pronunciation is the Palazian fracas and the U.K. pronunciation is fracas. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a fracas Good here. Grief.
2: I can't tell you how many times I heard just this kind of conversation when I was uh, covering the,
1: the Trump campaign this summer. I mean, it was a constant <laughs> fraca-fraca uh, what This is not what the middle America wants to hear. Oh, well. Oh, well. A death panel of a bill was sent over from the House GOP to the country this week. It was had been kept hidden. The American Health—what is it? The American Health— uh, Care even, Act. Health Care Act it had been kept hidden last week. And we can now see why the Republicans will try to cram through a bill without the CBO scoring it before at least the committee's vote on it uh, without a huge amount of debate. Uh, They're going to try to cram it through because it is a dog of a bill. The bill to this is clearly I'm editorializing strongly here, but, but the bill to reform Obamacare would eliminate the individual mandate. It would eliminate a lot of taxes on the rich. The estimates are that the average person in the 0.1% will get a $200,000 tax break and basically nobody else will get any tax break.
0: 90% of the tax breaks go to the top 1% and 62% to the 0.1%.
1: Yes. It puts in a tax credit system to help people offset the cost of their health insurance, which will Probably benefit younger people and make it incredibly hard for people, say, 40 to 65 to get affordable health care insurance estimates are that somebody who who is a low earner in, in his uh, 60s may have to spend half of his income to get health insurance coverage just to pay the premiums. So that doesn't even whatever other copays you're going to have to pay. They're, and you
0: also, did you mention that there's no clue about how the Republicans are planning to pay for the cost of the bill?
1: There's no clue right. about how it's going to be paid for because the individual mandate has gone, been replaced. The idea to keep people in the insurance market is there's some modest penalty. if you if you go lose coverage and you want to get back on coverage, you have to pay a premium on your premium
0: surcharge if, for a year For
1: a year. The fear, actually, is that that's going to speed up a death spiral because it's not that much of a penalty. People may just choose to stay out of the market until they get sick and then jump back in um, when they do, because the ban on discriminating on pre-existing conditions remains. It also delays the Xing out of the expanded Medicaid funding until 2020, which means that certain Republican governors who wanted to make sure that, that funding for that remained are at least moderately happy that it's going to stay for a little while, but it's not going to stay forever.
0: And then it changes and the states have much more flexibility about Medicaid. And also, if you're not already signed up, you don't uh, this whole confusing thing that basically limits the effectiveness of Medicaid and also would leave Medicaid recipients with bills that they currently don't pay.
1: So this bill is being attacked from the right for being too much like Obamacare for being really too generous with health care benefits and really uh, and creating a new entitlement in, these form, in the form of these tax credits for poor people being attacked on the left for being too stingy and making it impossible for many many people particularly middle-aged and older people to afford health insurance And put endangering insurance markets being attacked in the middle because it's creating uncertainty in the market and taking away forms of insurance for people that people already have. And it's being attacked by everyone because there is a there's also a provision in it, which would provide tax breaks for high paid uh, insurance, health insurance company executives, which is that's always a good one to put in there. Why is it such a terrible bill, Emily? Did it have to be so bad? Or maybe I mean, it's not a it, terrible bill maybe maybe it's maybe you should rise in defense of it
0: no i can't rise in defense of this because it is a less generous and a kind of frayed like a full of holes version of obamacare i'm not super fond of the phrase obamacare light because light can be a good thing it's like going on a diet this is like obamacare full of holes hmm. i think but if you're a You know, a purist conservative and you don't think the government should be expansively involved in healthcare. It doesn't have any intellectual coherence because it buys into the notion the sort of philosophical under underpinnings of Obamacare are all still there. It just like does a bad job of actually making a sturdy structure to support that. Yeah. So I'm not going to defend the bill. I mean, it takes care of the promise to repeal and replace or repeal and do something. And I guess that if you are a Paul Ryan-style conservative and you think that making benefits more generous for people as you go down the income scale is something that discourages them from working, it addresses that. Because the tax credits aren't tied to income the way they were before, so you don't get more if you're poorer, But as a sort of intellectual enterprise, it would be much cleaner and defensible if the Republicans were simply giving a big tax cut. I just don't quite see how this like, weird jerry-rigged contraption is going to be broadly defensible and so far nobody <laughs> i mean it's it's been incredibly quiet the defense of it the insurance companies haven't come out against it but the um, hospital associations have doctors have the nurses association there's like and, and they're both conservative and moderate republicans who are speaking out against it so yeah i don't know john what do you think
2: the big problem or with this is that it's trying to do – it faces the same problem that the President Obama faced, which is that they're trying to squeeze a bill – it is not a perfect bill by the um, by the ideology of conservatives or by even what Paul Ryan would like, but uh, they're trying to squeeze it through and, and serve a bunch of different masters. So one is that they have to move quickly because they made this promise uh, to their voters that they would move quickly. They also have to deal with a promise that they're going to replace it, but they're not really replacing it. Uh, and they're pinched between these two different groups. So in the House, you have conservatives saying it's the Medicaid extension is essentially letting it last too long keeps that bad part of Obamacare, which they don't like. They don't like the tax credits. They think that's a new entitlement for poor people. And then on the, I guess you could say left, maybe not, but you have um, in the Senate, you have four Republican senators and probably more who think the Medicaid system in the new bill is not generous enough because there are, are a number of states and the four senators are from states where they took the Medicaid expansion and you also have a number of governors in those uh, Republican states that took the Medicaid expansion wanting off-ramp of Medicaid to be gentler and more sturdy than what's in the final form. You also have a slight problem here too, which is that there was a leaked first bill, and then there's this this bill which came out. So there's a little bit of sorting and, con- and on this Medicaid question. But the problem is that Paul Ryan can't get his perfect bill passed because of the all of these, you, you've got to pass it through reconciliation. So that's why it's a clumpy, ugly bill, because they're trying to kind of squeeze it in through this process. But the problem with that, it seems to me, is that you embed in the passage of the bill, all kinds of flaws that are going to look bad down the road if things don't work out perfectly. And those flaws And you're going to
0: own it. The Republicans will own it in a different way than they do the problems with Obamacare.
2: Yeah. Now, the argument that they make is that, of course, this is an alternative not to the perfect, but to Obamacare as it exists right now. So the two key questions, how many people does it cover and how much does it cost, right at the center of the legislation are unknown for the purposes of debating it. That's That as a procedural process question- is not sustainable. You can't uh, – you, if you're going to do your job right, you have to know what the, what it costs and how many people it covers. And you, you can argue reasons why somehow you can get around that. But just as a basic kind of thing, you need to know what the math looks like. And there's that problem. And now you've got um, Tom Cotton. So let's say it's a year from now and everything doesn't work out the way the authors of this plan would like uh it doesn't seem that hard to imagine a critique that says hey it's not working because they rushed it through in this big heated fast process where they didn't even know how much it was going to cost and who was going to get covered even tom cotton no shrinking liberal said hey slow down folks uh, and they didn't do it um that's a bad thing to have out there if if the bill doesn't work perfectly and guess what it's not going to work perfectly it's a huge complicated thing the american healthcare system 18% of the economy doesn't always work out the way you want, and especially when you can't offer your perfect
1: bill. The, I think there's there's a fundamental threshold problem with the for the Republicans in this, and it's completely of their own making. Um, the number one issue is a friend of mine was pointing out to me this week, so I'm stealing his his point. Republicans don't actually believe in healthcare as a kind of guaranteed benefit for Americans. You know they've they've they have Trump has sort of put it out there, and they've accepted like oh we're going to reform Obamacare so it's better. But ideologically, most conservatives actually don't think that if you're poor and you can't afford it, that you have a right to insurance. I mean, they just don't don't believe it, and therefore they are trying to solve a problem where they don't believe this. They don't actually believe in the solution. That's an issue which just poisons everything that they do around this because they they have they don't have the courage of their convictions, which the Re- Democrats did because the Democrats actually do believe it. Second is the fact is there is Republican healthcare reform and it's Obamacare. That Obamacare was basically a stolen Republican idea of how you do health care reform and manage to keep private markets. And the individual mandate is a heritage idea, a heritage foundation idea. Obama adopted. And and so there was Basically, an adoption of a kind of conservative version of healthcare reform. Republicans, for entirely partisan reasons, came out in opposition to it and don't, you know, decided that they that it no longer conformed with their their beliefs. But basically, because they didn't want a president to have a victory over it, and now they've, you know, they they they're stuck. They're stuck because they don't have another coherent option against it, except one which nobody wants, which is to, to you know, put everyone in health savings accounts and and not guarantee anyone coverage at all. I have no, absolutely no sympathy for Republicans who made this bed by being so nihilistic about Obamacare, which was a bill that they, they should basically have endorsed.
0: Right. Matt Iglesias had a really good piece about this in Vox, I thought, about exactly what you're saying, that essentially the Republicans didn't make the case against a right to healthcare or against gov- a government role in healthcare and and Trump made a case for like beautiful healthcare for everyone better than you had before so i'm really interested in the role that um president trump plays or doesn't play in selling this bill i mean he's come out in support of it but i just found i mean here's what he said about it the other day this will be a plan where you can choose your doctor. This will be a plan where you can choose your plan. And you know what the plan is. This is the plan. We're going to have a tremendous, I think we're going to have a tremendous success. It's a complicated process, but actually it's very simple. It's called good healthcare. So, I mean, I I'm guess I'm clear. It's means, all clear now. Right, like that passes like the car salesman test, I guess. But it has it's completely devoid of any kind of substance. It's like total empty air and i just you know i don't know maybe like trump's um the threats he can make and the way in which he can make republicans in congress afraid of his base that saber rattling will have an effect on them but you just think of like all of the work that president obama did all the muscle he put behind obamacare and then you compare it to that and you think like Hmm. How is this going to work? And also, if this seems like it's starting to go down, is Trump really going to put his the reputation and is? I mean, this is like the first legislative test of his presidency. Is he really going to put himself behind it, John? What do you think about that?
2: The uh, no, I think that's I think that's right. So the the difference is between the president's power as a marketer when he was a candidate, make America great again was uh, was the perfect distillation of his argument for his supporters, but now. He has to come up with a perfect distillation of a piece of legislation, not just to win over people who are already with him, but for other people. So it's a different marketing strategy and a different marketing process. Challenge. challenge and just saying it's going to be awesome is probably not enough and it's also not enough armor when the inevitable churn that happens i mean this is the this is the problem that president obama faced when he claimed things for the bill that were going to be impossible to promises that were going to be impossible to keep. So when he said, you can keep your health care, you can keep your doctor if you want, he knew at the time he was saying it was impossible. But what he hoped is that the bill would turn out in a way that people would not be uh, bummed that they, they couldn't keep their old system because they were getting all this other new stuff. And so while I may not have the special features on my existing car, man, this new car I've got has so many other special features, I'm not gonna sweat the thing that I've lost because I got all these other things. When the other things didn't, make people feel good about losing their choice in the way they thought they had before, they got irritated and angry. And that feels like we're, th- this is being set up in the same fashion when uh, the president says, you will be able to pick your doctor and pick your plan. I mean, I'm in the private healthcare market and I can't pick my doctor. So how
1: is it in the public plan you're going to be able to pick your doctor? John, so, so there's this, these two competing facts. The fact one is Republicans... The president, Paul Ryan, have made absolutely central to their political success the idea we are going to repeal and replace Obamacare. That has been the thing that has been said over and over again for the past eight years. It is the number one message that they have conveyed to the world. Number two is there is the reality that there is a bill on the table which not many people, no Democrat and not even that many Republicans seems to like uh, and is fraught with problems which of those two things appears to you to to be more likely to prevail is there is there a bill that they can whip 218 votes and 51 votes for I, or 50
2: i well i can get there. I think they can get their 218 and this goes back to, to Emily's point about salesmanship and this is important because when you're selling just to muscle people because you have extraordinary power over the republican base Great, you can get the 218. But the problem is, are the arguments that you use to get the Freedom caucus, those Republicans who are extra-conservative who have problems with the bill, and you bring them over to the White House and they do some bowling, uh, you can get them on board. but when you get them on board, is anything that you've, any argument that you've made a sustaining argument, or if you just basically just pressured them into doing it? If you've just pressured them into doing it, you get your bill. But you arm them with nothing that they can go out and then use to advocate for the bill when the when things start to get hairy. And things are going to get hairy because there's a lot of churn in this. There are going to be winners and losers and to pretend that there aren't going to be losers is politically required and necessary just as it was for President Obama but it, it embeds a flaw in your, in your day. But they can so, get 20, can they get to 50? So then the question is in the Senate and this is where it gets interesting and this is what Tom Cotton was talking about. You have both procedural resistance to what's happening in the house and you have policy resistance. So you have procedural, you have Lindsey Graham saying, hey, don't give me a take it or leave it because I'll leave it. So don't force me, Mitch McConnell, to vote for this. Then you have policy issues that some Susan Collins will will not like the the Planned Parenthood piece of this, as well as some of the specific provisions uh, of the bill itself, probably the Medicaid provision. And then you have these four senators who wrote a letter saying that they wanted more generous treatment of Medicaid in the bill. Now, some of those senators are gettable, which is to say – Part of what they're doing is they're acting as a counterbalance to the Freedom Caucus. So if the Freedom Caucus is the only one making noise in the se- in the House, then things are going to be done. That's the Freedom Caucus they're calling. Um, <laughs> I don't think they they don't think they've got Emily's number. They um, the if the Freedom <laughs> call Caucus all the time. If the Freedom Caucus is the only group angry about the bill, then they are going to get all of the the tweaks and tinkering that's going to make the bill better for them. So moderates or people in states where they want to keep the Medicaid expansion, need to make noise, even if they're not going to make a final stand on that issue. And then you get into these really interesting questions about, do we start getting House versus Senate violence? And the president, does he start blaming the Senate? President Mitch McConnell are not palsy-walsy. Paul Ryan will get pressure from his conservatives saying, hey, why don't you go tell Mitch McConnell to go jump in a lake? Go make Mitch McConnell do these things. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And then you have other interesting games going on. Like um, Mike Pence, the vice president will be in Louisville, Kentucky on Saturday, campaigning for the bill. Rand Paul is an opponent of the American healthcare act. A number of counties in Kentucky have benefited a lot from the Medicaid expansion. So, I don't know how this plays out, but again, the process and how it goes forward I think matters in the ultimate political calculation here. And already, by the way, the messiness of the process so far undermines a central claim of the last many years, which was that um, conservatives argued that Obamacare was such a disaster and that the solution to it was relatively simple that it was pretty obvious how bad Obamacare was and that the right way to go was a relatively simple fix. We're seeing, obviously, as this goes forward, that it ain't so simple.
1: Emily, one of the, the, <laughs> the consistent uh, themes in Republican legislation over the past, my lifetime, is uh, whatever, the, whatever the problem is, the solution is cutting taxes for the rich. So what the uh, American Healthcare Act is above all really more than anything else, is an enormous tax cut. It's a tax cut on uh, investment income for wealthy people and on a Medicare surcharge tax uh, also for wealthy people. It's a people.
0: total of $600 billion, right? And
1: it's six hundred, yeah, $600 billion in tax cuts, which, as you say, overwhelmingly go to America's richest people. And, and so most Americans will get $0 out of these tax cuts, and then we'll have to pay higher health care premiums why why do you think there's been so um cavalier about having to pay for this i mean essentially what's happened is these tax cuts mean that they have to cheap cheap out on the bill that they have to screw poor people and give them less in the way of health care coverage
0: you're asking me why i mean that it seems like you answered the question because i wasn't
1: really it was sort of a rhetorical <laughs> question but <laughs> right. I, you I hadn't mean, talked for a long a... time <laughs>
0: <laughs> you like are pretending. Yeah. So and the other thing that's just worth pointing out is that the people who seem the most disadvantaged by this bill are Trump voters. They're, you know, rural people are going to be worse affected than urban people because the bill severs the tie between how much of a subsidy or tax credit you get and how much the insurance plan actually costs. And they, the plans tend to cost more, I think, in rural areas. And then it is also going to hurt older people and people in that part of the the income bracket, at least white people who tended to vote for Trump. So the politics of it are puzzling unless you think that people won't vote on this or they're going to get other kind of emotional benefits from it, to steal Arlie Hothschild's no. phrasing. It, it just as a purely as a political matter, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense as a way of appealing to Trump's base.
2: The positive case that's made for this by its supporters is that by removing regulations, by deregulating, ending the minimum benefits, allowing interstate sale, repealing the but mandate. But they didn't
0: end the minimum benefits, right? They I didn't end all actually... them. They ended some right. of them. They right? They kept a lot more than they it seemed like they were. Sorry.
2: Anyway, so but... back to the argument for the case. Okay. The argument for it is that by removing these regulations and deregulating insurance, that you create market competition. That in those rural areas, for example, the rural hospitals that are closing like crazy because of the, the decrease in population in rural areas, that if they no longer have to, the insurance mandates in the Affordable Care Act and others, that those hospitals can Survive so that in, that under the Affordable Care Act, those hospitals were dying and going away. Remove the regulations; they stay. And then the other positive case for the for this is that you remove those regulations, premiums drop, more people can get coverage. But this is what gets into your it gets into your age shifting problem: is that the people who can get coverage and cheaper coverage tend to be the healthier ones. The problem is with the sicker older ones. Um, and it's worth just going back to this individual mandate question and the replacement. The idea of replacing the individual mandate with a 30% penalty for not maintaining continuous coverage does seem to have an in, a strange set of incentives, which is that if I'm a healthy invincible, you know, I'm not going to have a health insurance just as they didn't under Obamacare because they think they're invincible. And then when they're faced with a penalty for signing up, if you're – healthy you're why are why are you going if you weren't inclined to sign up before why Mm -hmm. are you going to sign up before what's the answer well you might be sick okay so now you've just found a way to encourage healthy people to stay out and sicker people to join in and so now your risk pool is full of old sick people and the young sick people it doesn't it i haven't heard a good
1: explanation for why that isn't a (laughs) a real flaw adverse selection all right one last question emily what is it that democrats should do now
0: well, I think that, first of all, there's like a local regional difference in strategy. So in states or congressional districts where you could have a swell of opposition that would actually affect your representative, I think that advocacy groups should, you know, in order to realize their goals, should do that and probably will do that. The, the question, though, of like what Democrats in Congress and particularly the Senate should do, I think if I were them, I'd have a kind of wait and see attitude, because if the Republicans torpedo this on their own through their infighting, those are the best kinds of headlines for Democrats. Right. I don't I mean, I think that the Republican warring over this, if if the narrative of this bill ends up being, well, the Republicans couldn't even agree on a solution after these seven years of complaining about Obamacare, that's a pretty good campaign line to run on. Eventually, depending on what happens with this bill, there's a really interesting set of questions about Obamacare and how well it's functioning or not functioning right now. You know, whether it would have all been great if Trump hadn't been elected and kind of called it into question and shaken the foundation or whether it was just having problems that weren't going to write themselves without Trump in office. I don't know. But if this bill doesn't pass, then the Democrats, I think, need to get involved in su- pr- proposing ways in which to make Obamacare stronger and sturdier. Because Obamacare this year, you know, the signups are somewhat down. It's possible that there are going to be more places in the country where there's no competition in the exchanges, et cetera. But I do think right now that the main play is not really um, the Democrats.
2: It's a good moment for them to grab, you know, quick what do the Democrats believe in? You need people to be able to answer that question automatically. And this is a perfect place for Democrats to stage the stage this fight is um because it matters. People are paying attention. Uh, and Democrats have a history with this issue. Now they have to kind of all agree on what they believe. But so, John, um,
0: is the question for them whether they say we believe in Obamacare, we want to make the Affordable Care Act better, or we want something that is, you know, single pay? Like, right? Is that? Well, I think they say. You're...
2: Well, I think what they say is what President Trump used to say privately before he got in the mix here, which is Obamacare can be t- fixed. So, for Democrats, obviously, you want to hug president obama and obamacare it's getting more popular it's important with your base and so forth and so on and then you just admit that it needs fixes. it needs fixes which even president obama did admitted several times so it's a pretty simple it seems to me two-step in terms of hugging the thing that's popular in your party and then recognizing that it uh, of course needs changes i really uh, just looking at at what tom cotton has said Tom Cotton has just handed Democrats a pretty big gift because he has, he has said in three tweets that came out on, on Thursday, he said to the House, pause, start it over, get it right, don't get it fast. GOP shouldn't act like Dems did on Obamacare. No excuse to release a bill Monday night. Start voting Wednesday with no budget estimate. And then his third tweet, what matters in the long run is better, more affordable health care for Americans, not House leaders' arbitrary legislative calendar. So in three tweets, he has said the House leaders are rushing it; they're not getting it right. He's compared it to Obamacare, and that's powerful because it's not you know in any of these debates that are so partisan. When somebody from the other side basically makes your argument for you, that's uh, that's powerful for the opposition.
1: This episode of the Gabfest is sponsored by Aura Frames. Are you ready to win Mother's Day? Cement your reputation as the best gift giver in your family. Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. That mom will love looking back on childhood memories, seeing you what you're up to today, checking out grandkids, checking out cousins. And even better, with unlimited storage and an easy to use app, you can keep on updating your mom's frame with new photos so that it's a gift that keeps on giving. This is how I live in my family. I gave my mother an Aura frame. It was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. She absolutely adores it. She's constantly hectoring me to update it with more photos, which I do. I also gave my girlfriend's mother an Aura Frame, and I hope she hectors my girlfriend to update it with more photos. But it is a present that will bring absolute delight to a mother in your life. And they have a great deal for Mother's Day. GapFest listeners can save on this perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off. Plus free shipping on their best selling frame. That's A U R A frames.com. Use code GABFEST at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. On Saturday morning, when I was making some really great biscuits for my kids, President Trump accused President Obama of wiretapping him with two P's in Trump Tower during the campaign without evidence, without investigation, basing his claim apparently on a maybe some conservative talk radio or in Breitbart, he accused his predecessor of what uh, would have been possibly a crime, certainly an astonishing – Oh, a crime.
0: Let's go for crime.
1: Well – I think the if president
0: is not supposed pre, to be well, personally okay, authorizing the wiretaps, the president can't personally authorize wiretaps,
1: But it, if their administration is wiretapping, that m- that might or might not be a crime, it depends. Uh,
0: but Trump said President Obama and David's guy. But yeah. David's
2: point is that it could be a semantic difference. So that if the they, justice department that is in the Obama administration is wiretapping him, then yes, it's not actually the president himself, but it would be A semantic difference as opposed to if
1: there's no wiretapping by anyone of any kind anywhere. Yes. Anyway, but certainly, you know, could have been a could have been a crime, as Emily said. Um, Then 30 minutes later, he tweeted about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's ratings on The Apprentice. So, Emily, what what would have been a crime? What, What was he accusing the president of and how could it have been carried out? The point just bracketing that by saying this is. There appears to be absolutely no evidence. It appears to be a totally spurious, trumped up uh, charge made, you know, just to, to, to chaff the system as usual.
0: Right. So, well, let's sort of divide this in half in the way that I think maybe you and John were going. The accusation in its kind of full bloom was that President Obama had personally authorized a wiretap of... Trump, uh, you know, that the, the president was asking the FBI to listen in on Trump's phone calls. That was like the most obvious reading of what he said. And if the president was misusing the intelligence agencies in that way to try to get inside information about his political opponent or derail his campaign in some way, that would be Watergate. That would be epic. Now, as you said, we have zero evidence for that. We have evidence for the fact that there is an investigation going on. We know this uh, by the intelligence agencies of potential ties between the Trump campaign and Russian intelligence officials. Then there are these like little shreds of evidence, which I essentially discredit that there were applications to the FISA court for warrants to do some kind of surveillance in relation to that investigation. Those reports, the FISA part that I just said, come only from the British press. They started on this blog called Heat Street, then they moved to The Guardian and the BBC. The Washington Post and The New York Times have been trying for months to confirm these reports of these FISA warrants and applications, and they haven't been able to do so. So I don't see any reason to think that that's true. And also that um,
1: surveillance was of Russian banks, right? That cl- was yes. it, to investigate Russian banks. It wasn't to, it wasn't a FISA uh, warrant to go after Trump. It was to go after Russian banks who presumably may have been doing something shady with people associated with Trump. Right.
0: right and that report about like the server and Trump Tower pinging back and forth with the Russian banks. Yes, you're absolutely right. So in any case. I mean, it seems like what's really going on here, who knows what's really going on here, (laughs) but if there is something really going on here, I would say it's that when Trump is in a corner, when he feels attacked, He wants to have an enemy. That's his instinct. It's like, let's lash out at someone. There's a way in which he's much more comfortable lashing out in a way that he then positions himself as being a victim, right? So when he was running against Hillary Clinton, he had an obvious adversary. Then she was gone. He has used the press in that way in the last few weeks. And now he kind of was looking around for someone else, and he picked President Obama. And that seems like a pretty effective move to make with his base. His base is willing to believe, basically, I would imagine, anything of President Obama. And when I was casting about try to understand these tweets, I was looking at Breitbart and Breitbart had these very sinister headlines about Obama. And it's a way of discrediting the whole investigation, whatever it does amount to, which is a real investigation. So I guess it has that utility. The problem, of course, is that it makes the president seem unhinged and like he's using his office um, as a mouthpiece for conspiracy theories. And I just can't see how that has an appeal beyond his core base
1: so james comey the director of the fbi who whose fbi agents would have been tapping donald trump had there been a tap going on has apparently denied this vehemently and has asked the department of justice internally to deny it according to some reports james clapper and- who is the head of the dni uh, under president obama has denied this was going on why <laughs> i mean john <laughs> respond.
2: <laughs> he has respond uh, yes uh, well, I, uh, there's so many things to say. Comey, I think also it was reported asked the White House to to get the president to stop saying this, which is, you know, um, which is interesting because the White House had asked, uh, tried to enlist Comey's help in getting him to knock down stories uh, in the press about connections between the Russian uh, efforts to meddle in the election and the Trump campaign. There's so much at issue here because we should also note that the president could be in a position to know this arguably better than anyone because he has access to the secret yes, but most he chose secret not secrets. to he chose no, not to I understand but my point is that when this these first tweets came out
0: right it one could, thought gee maybe he knew something we don't
2: it could have been the basis of his um actual intelligence briefings and he just let something let something slip so there is a debate every time the president uses Twitter to distract or to say something that is uh, new in the history of America, um, to to ignore it or to um, to say, well, he's just trying to distract. But in this case, this was this is something new. We haven't seen this before. This is news in the sense that not only attacking his predecessor so fast and apparently on such flimsy information, but there was also the possibility that he had real information. So it's now a mess. No one at the White House will back up what the their boss says. And by the way, if he had actual evidence, the real evidence of the kind that he is privy to, this could be solved in a second. And so anyway, the White House said, we're going to let the congressional, congressional investigating committees looking into Russia investigate this. People on the committee have no idea what the president really is talking about, but this is all going to get adjudicated, and then we will be able to conclude- but- whether the president was just winging out
1: this information, which is highly volatile, highly sensitive. But, but we know he was just winging it out where we know that we know we are basically 99 percent sure that he was winging it out. And this to me reminds me of all the voter fraud claims that he makes where he, he you know puts out these absolute lies, disgusting lies about voter fraud, uh, making claims that there is massive criminal conspiracy happening in the country against him. It's chaff. It's this chaff. He chaffs the system all the time. I think we, we can hope that a congressional investigation is dispositive and says this never – this did not happen and, and President Trump lied about it. I don't think it matters. I, I think there's no punishment unless, the, unless Congress is willing to impeach him, unless his cabinet is willing to, to Article 25 him or 25th Amendment him. There's not really a consequence to this man continuing to spread disprovable lies. And, well, and there's a no potential think,
0: consequence in 2018 and 2020. I mean, that's... that's well, there are the electoral voters.
1: consequences. Right. Yeah, I think yeah also, well,
0: that's supposed to be yeah. how we yeah, the system address works. such uh, problems. I,
1: <laughs> I
2: also think that it does matter and it has mattered so far in in this young White House when the president is criticized by his own team or by institutions that are... A little bit separate from the political cut and thrust. Now, a lot of people believe that part of the president's goal is to bring all external institutions and, – and some people would also say this is Vladimir Putin's goal – is to make all institutions partisan uh, and thereby – Delegitimize them as just partisan operations. So that may that may happen by the time these rulings come out. And also, by the way, the committee chairmen who are in the same party are not. It's not going to be in their interest to make the president. Uh, it, it's not going to be in their interest to embarrass the president. So when these final reports get issued, perhaps they'll be so nuanced that there won't be this this final moment. But I go. What I was trying to do is just in terms of classifying the different kinds of behavior of the president. We've seen in situations in which he's made incendiary claims, as you say, the voter fraud. And they have kind of just piddled away, fizzled. you know, and fizzled. And this case, he has inserted it into a process now, which makes it just in terms of classifying the behavior that's happened in in this administration. It, it This is a new kind of thing and has happened in a new and different way. This now is a question that that lives on in the committees and also lives on in the clumsy way that the White House is handling it, sort of saying, well, this is a view the president holds. And then when you have no one else at the White House who maintains or holds the same view and the FBI director doesn't hold it, that is different than in some of his previous claims he's made.
0: Can we talk also about the Justice Department and – Comey and the Justice Department and Trump. So I think since our last show, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, made the decision to accuse himself from the Russia investigations, which I think was a really important moment for rule of law in the United States of America. You know, Sessions did this apparently, even though the president did not want him to pull himself out of the investigation. And did it, he Sessions said, after consulting with the career people at the Justice Department. I found all of that to be Reassuring. I'm not sure what to think about the Justice Department refusing to refute the president. I kind of think that if Comey wants to refute the president, we know that Comey is willing to make public statements. He certainly did that about Hillary Clinton's emails. I'm not sure why he thinks he can't do that again. I guess to be generous to him, you could argue that he saw that that had problems and decided not to make that same kind of intervention. But there is some kind of like weird dynamic going on here. And the other thing I've been Wondering about, you know, if this isn't merely incompetence, it certainly has like lots of incompetence in it. But if if there's something strategic here, it is about discrediting information generally, which is like a project of the Trump administration, and then also the intelligence agencies, which Trump has attacked. And so... What I worry about is that whatever conclusion this investigation reaches is going to have less of a hold with at least Trump supporters than it would have absent all of this like chaff, as you put it. And that's the way in which I think it actually matters. But then on to like on the third hand the idea that the intelligence agencies and their leaking of secrets as a way of being a check and balance on the presidency the idea that like they're they're resorting to that is a, a bad sign i mean it's like a it's better than you know no checks and balances for sure but it, it's not really a sign that like the system is in a healthy state that that's where we're right.
1: at that's a that's a great point point. And, and also your point emily about discrediting of information i think we also see that on the healthcare bill with this yes. attempt to 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 impugn the cbo and say oh the cbo is not reliable we can't trust their projections their their estimates of costs and and it is and we see it through the epa and through uh what's going on at, at in the agencies is this 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 uh, opposition or this willingness to discredit government information. Credibility does at some point matter in
2: presidencies. And so he, what the president did in his tweet is he said he had proof of something. And now he's asking for the congressional investigation, ingre, investigating committees to find proof. That's another disconnected at, at play here, but the president has yet to face a crisis. And in all these things we've been talking about, uh, there will become a moment where the things that the president says will matter in a really important way. And credibility is necessary for those kinds of moments. And these blows to credibility over time mount and then give you less in important moments. Or if your instinct is to say things that you can't back up, in an important moment, people tend to get a little bit more irritated. They don't perhaps write it off as just another sort of fixation of the media in their effort to knock down Donald Trump, but they can quickly see it
1: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Among the many interesting features of the Ryan Care Trump Care bill is a systematic attack on attack is maybe a strong word, but Emily will endorse endorse on women's health and reproductive rights. This primarily takes two forms in the in the bill. First, the bill would bar any federal tax credits being used on any insurance policy that provides abortion coverage. So that would effectively eliminate those policies from the market because no 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 one who's getting tax credits would buy some, some policy with abortion coverage because they wouldn't get the tax credit for it. And therefore, policies with abortion coverage are not going to be offered. Second, uh, it would bar Medicaid reimbursement. I think I'm right about this, Emily. Bar Medicaid reimbursement for any health provider that also provides abortion services. Notably, this would hit Planned Parenthood. And here it is, of course, important to note that that Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers are not getting public funding, any federal funding for their abortion services, except in very extremely rare cases. They are providing other forms of health coverage for which they're reimbursed, including contraception, cancer screening, STD treatments, et cetera. And this would deny them the Medicaid funding for the, that coverage that they were providing to people on Medicaid this is, you know, fulfills, if it goes through, fulfills a a strong ideal of social conservatives to go after Planned Parenthood and go after abortion providers. Is it a non-starter, Emily?
0: Well, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are very nervous about it. So maybe, probably. Uh, On the other hand, it's been something that a lot of Republicans have pushed and talked about as a priority for a long time. So. I don't think we can assume that it's not going anywhere. To give a little more um detail, so I think about forty percent of Planned Parenthood's budget comes from the kind of reimbursement for non abortion medical services you were just talking about. So the idea of Planned Parenthood losing that funding is a really big deal. It's a really big deal for low income women who get their health care from Planned Parenthood. And then
1: the one in five is- American women, I think, have used Planned Parenthood services.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not a low-income woman, but I've used Planned Parenthood. I mean, Planned Parenthood is a big provider, and it... Has a philosophy of comprehensive women's health care, of which abortion is a relatively small part, but a part to which Planned Parenthood is committed. And so to take a step back from this, what's, oh, I guess we should also add that there was this supposed, this kind of false olive branch extended to Planned Parenthood. Oh, well, if you stop providing abortion services, then you can keep your money. And then the president said some weird thing about how we'll give you more money as if he didn't understand that this was all reimbursement for services and there is no more money unless you serve more women. And so that idea that Planned Parenthood could just step away from providing abortion. So, you know, in the past, Planned Parenthood has pointed out over and over again that something like 90% of its procedures are for services other than abortion. And so then I think that makes it tempting to think like, okay, well, maybe Planned Parenthood could just stop providing abortions and other clinics could do it and like, okay, okay. And the problem with that, of course, is that for decades, really since the 70s, we've had this problem of abortion services being segregated and stigmatized and made less socially acceptable and less safe because they take place in these separate abortion clinics. I mean, just think of the Planned Parenthood building in your neighborhood if you have one. The one in my neighborhood is like a fortress because of abortion. There are also abortions going on at hospitals in my city that nobody really talks about. And oh, by the way, you know, the Republicans aren't talking about defunding hospitals because they provide abortion care. But the more and more the the sort of move to separate abortion, it can seem kind of neutral on its face, but it's really not. It really is about preventing access to abortion and having fewer abortions and making abortion a, a more and more kind of like bad stepchild part of the healthcare system wait. as a part of just as opposed to just like part of the course of healthcare. i mean you know i'm sure i've said this a million times on the show but a third of women of childbearing age have had abortions
1: wait emily actually quick question there i, I didn't even think about this hospitals do abortions many hospitals do abortions this ahca only how does it only target Planned Parenthood and not hit the hospitals.
0: It has some provision in it where it's like a certain percentage of your budget comes from this. There have been court cases about defunding Planned Parenthood in the state. So they couldn't just say we're defunding Planned Parenthood. And so they wrote a sentence that basically only applies to Planned Parenthood based on the, I think, percentage of. Yeah. Anyway, but right. If they were being consistent about this, they would also be defunding hospitals that provide abortion care. And of course, that's never going to happen.
1: John, is there a sense among Republicans as a political matter that this kind of attack on Planned Parenthood is a win, or is it is it just necessary base maintenance? Because I would have thought, I can't imagine. I mean, maybe they just figure the women who go to Planned Parenthood are just not going to be their voters. that single women don't vote for Republicans. Like, screw it. Who cares? I think, as I was talking to a Republican
2: Senator last night about these issues. somebody it was in a context of the of the um, yeah, well, Senate so was cam- I. so was I. Senate campaigns <laughs> coming up. And this Senator was arguing that the way these debate, the political way this works in their view anyway, is that so there's the base demands for sure. But then there is a worry for any Republican in a state where you have a sizable suburban Republican women population where you don't want to look so doctrinaire that you are unreasonable because then these issues have a kind of electricity to them that if you look like you're not reasonable at all that you don't recognize say for example that Planned Parenthood provides a variety of different kinds of services and so that you have to and this is true uh, also on immigration that you that you can be for strong borders and, and and American laws but kicking out families and the 11 million you know goes too far so if that's true then the politics of this can get dicey if you look like you're not attentive to the to the larger issues of of women's reproductive rights. I think the response to that from any Republican who believes in that theory would be maybe not to knock this down but to take other positions that would signal to those voters that you're that you have a more expansive view, say, on something like over-the-counter... Um, uh, Medical abortion? Uh, no, no, no. Over-the-counter yeah. abortion drugs. <laughs> no, 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 no. Over-the-counter no. over over the over the, over the counter contraception. Sorry, I was tr- I was having two split thoughts in, at the same time. Wait,
0: over-the-counter contraception, like condoms in the drugstore, which we already have? No,
2: no, you I think... Don't else? you have to like, take... Don't you have to get some prescriptions for other kinds of contraception? Yeah, yeah, and, totally, yeah Okay, few. Yeah. So I wasn't just being set no, up no, as a total just, idiot. I mean, they,
1: you know, we should note, incidentally, that if you... If you got rid of Planned Parenthood and you got rid of the general sort of ha- care that women are getting from Planned Parenthood, the estimates are there'd be a huge number more unwanted pregnancies and a huge number more of abortions, ultimately. Well, so and also you just have less health yeah, And, less, yeah. and, and a lot more costs because you have less yeah. health care. The, right. Um, so,
0: and actually Texas did this. Sorry. I have this one more detail to add, which is that Texas tried to defund Planned Parenthood in this kind of way. And I think the estimate was something like 30,000 women lost their health care. And, and, and Texas then backed away from this kind of, um, experiment. It's another, I mean, we have examples of that in the immigration domain too, where we had this like super strict immigration law in alabama and it didn't work um so there have been really conservative states that have tried some of this and it it has fallout
1: i presume they're definitely going to keep i mean assume this bill gets through they'll keep this the abortion ban and the tax credits like the 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 not being able to buy I mean, the private pu- insurance the, yes. yeah but being able to buy that'll stay i presume that the the planned parenthood stuff will come out that they're not going to keep that in there ultimately they'll concede on well, that. Well, they'll to,
0: trade that for Susan yes, Collins and yeah, some Murkowski's yeah. votes. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So, And, this I just and also they nothing.
1: still have Planned Parenthood to beat up on. They'll keep Planned Parenthood to beat up on, which everyone wants.
0: Right. Well, ex- we should also mention Planned Parenthood is popular. I mean, that's been a saving grace for Planned Parenthood is that polls show that most people don't think defunding Planned Parenthood is a good idea.
1: Yeah. It's also why I think ultimately they won't even defund the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, mm-hmm. that it's actually good to have somebody to kick that they're very easy convenient things to kick so what one, about
0: the national endowments for the arts and humanities and isn't npr also on the chopping block do you think well npr is, is those, corporation like, npr is corporation World for Totems? public oh that's bri- part of broadcasting
1: it's just okay. through a pass through i think some of those will survive i'm not sure if all of them will survive planned parenthood npr PBS, those are all things that, that are fun for conservatives to beat up on as wasteful government spending. So it doesn't cost very much to keep them around and you get to beat up on them. So that I think it's easily worth it if you're a Republican to have Planned Parenthood to beat up on.
2: I don't know. If you live but by the same token, that all reverses on you when you can't get rid of them. You're in power, you own both you, you know you have control of both the House and the Senate and the Presidency, and you can't get rid of yeah, these yeah. things. They have a huge you can't Because then you can't say, look, they're really not worth very much money, and it's not going <laughs> to get us the savings we kind of need, and we need to husband our capital for passing premium support plan for Medicare, so let's put our political capital behind that big important thing and not these little things. I don't think – I mean, I think it has costs if you don't finally get rid of the stuff you've been saying you want to get rid of for years. Well, And I,
0: yet, uh, don't we see this kind of centrist pull going on? I mean, the, what's to stop the Republicans except, like, themselves, except – the voters and the polls, in some sense, that it's parts of their agenda are just not politically feasible. I think the jury's still out on how much that's actually going to hold true. But it is, um, it is quite curious.
2: A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the
1: ball? You cannot ignore China.
2: From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Let's go to cocktail chatter when you're having a, a bubble tea with your loved ones, as I, as I was doing during the show. What well, you'll be chattering about, Emily.
0: Well, John wanted us to talk for a second about the transgender right to bathroom access case in schools. He prompted this chatter for me. Maybe he's lost interest in this by now because that was early in the week. But I, as always, dutifully just want to kind of let people know where if there's stand. one so adjective
1: for emily bazelon it might be beautiful it's, dutiful. It it's is. true
0: it's like my fundamental flaw actually but whatever let's not yeah. go there so gavin grimm this he is a student in virginia he has brought this case challenging his school district's refusal to let him use the bathroom of his choice he's a trans transgender student the supreme court was supposed to hear his case at the end of march and will not do so. And the reason the court sent this case back to the lower courts for reconsideration is, of course, that the Justice Department and the Department of Education withdrew their instructions to schools to let transgender students choose bathrooms. So now the um, lower courts have a much harder question. They can't rely on the federal government's reinterpretation of Title IX. They have to like, look at Title IX for themselves. They also could potentially look at the Equal Protection Clause in the Constitution, And that's just going to be a harder case for Gavin Grimm to win. We'll see what happens. In the meantime, what this means for students is that schools, it's up to schools to decide where they use the bathroom. And that was actually already the case because a court had put a stay on the government's national order. But, you know, essentially we're seeing a kind of delay, a hitting of the pause button on a national right to bathroom access for transgender kids, which for some of those kids is going to impose real hardship. But it also could give the country a chance to think through and debate this more in a way that i think the obama administration's order was um a bit abrupt for some parts of the country so anyway that's one to watch
1: jd what is your chatter
2: i have two chatter well, maybe even three chatters first of all uh one thing that we uh didn't talk about in healthcare but that happened is tom price on sunday on all places face the nation basically said about medicare that You know, they're going to protect retirees and then they've got to shore up the system. And the reason that matters is that it was a question about whether the president was going to keep his commitment to not meddle with Medicare. Price has just broken that commitment. When you talk about shoring up and saving the system, that's what you say before you do a bunch of reforms (laughs) to save it.
1: Like nobody noticed that. It was a big deal. Also, they're going to shore up the system by taking away the Medicare tax, the extra premium, which – it was a rich, part of the, affordable, it's part of care of the For- Act. affordable Care Act that rich people are paying.
2: That'll you know,
0: shore it up. That'll we're going to shore it up things. by
1: but getting the reason rid of the trust
2: fund. You know, this was a big struggle between President Trump, who had promised not to meddle it, and, and, and his various advisors who had reasserted that claim over time. It's a big change because that's where the big uh, money is in terms of trying to fund the other stuff that Donald Trump wants to do. And it's also something that Paul Ryan has been uh, focused on because he wants to get at long term health inflation and its effects on the budget. And so this is happening. And the fact that it kind of um, didn't get that much coverage is, is interesting. Another big thing that's happening that's perhaps happening under the radar, though certainly not under the radar of ISIS, is that ISIS is about to be routed from Mosul. And there is now we, there are now Marines that have just arrived in Raqqa in Syria to fire artillery shells. The end of ISIS's goal for a caliphate And apparently al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, is on the run, has just basically left his diehards to defend, and he's off in the desert somewhere trying to save his own hide. Remember, ISIS was different from al-Qaeda in that it was going to have a geographical ownership, and they are now on the edge of basically losing that geographical ownership, which is a huge development, but it's also uh, a um, a nervous-making development for people who watch. Terrorism, because the response to that will be for people who are who align themselves with ISIS will be to try to strike back to show that they're not losing this their central goal of building a caliphate, which means, you know, that could anywhere that somebody feels the sympathies uh, could be newly engaged. So while the travel ban is one way of talking about terrorism, there is this other much more volatile way of talking about it that's not maybe gaining as much coverage as it should but was that
1: two or three are you gonna do a third chatter
2: well no because i think that's a little i was going to tell people to go sign up for the face the nation diary which has relaunched with a um a weekly recap because there's so much stuff that happens in american politics that we have now um using a model an old cbs model with uh, um, a diary yeah exactly a diary of the week's events um and uh and we i really dear like diary it. do you yeah. start it by saying dear diary uh, no, although I suppose we could. But uh, I was going to read, Anyone's
0: diary, it would be
2: yours,
1: John. Oh, really? No. I don't think there'd be. I, it actually it's not that salacious. Interesting. Secrets in it. <laughs> I would like a diary with salacious secrets.
2: It's also okay, the same thing okay. over and over again for years and years and years. But it's you're t- trying to get people to
0: sign up for the Face to Nation. Well, diary. that's
2: different. That's a well, different that's diary. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I <laughs> thought you meant my I was personal diary. To be oh, pro
0: your sign up. And yeah. You've, no, you've thank now you. Undermine yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. No. Be pro
2: sign up. Just don't read my actual diaries. No,
0: uh, no, that's
1: fine. All right, my chatter. I'm gonna do. Um, I'm gonna do two. Amid so much gruesome news, you have to keep track of some of the small crimes being committed in our name. And there was one one this week that I found just, just disturbing and sad and pointless. The EPA, which is now being run by uh, EPA hater Scott Pruitt, it wants to defund itself. It wants to have, do less and less. It wants to get rid of most of its programs or lots of its programs. And one thing it is proposing to get rid of is something called the Energy Star Programme. Uh, the Energy Star program is an entirely voluntary program, which allows the government kind of keeps an eye on and administers and spends some millions of dollars, some small number of millions of dollars every year to administer. Which allows appliance manufacturers essentially to certify that their new appliances meet certain standards of efficiency, and uh, this makes those appliances more valuable in the marketplace. It's a it's a it's a label that appliance manufacturers can put on their goods, and people will buy them and pay a premium for them. It saves, by one estimate, it has saved four hundred and thirty billion dollars in energy costs. It has avoided and a vast; it has it has prevented a vast amount of emissions. It has encouraged efficiency. It has stopped waste and abuse. It helps literally everyone who touches it. There is no person who does not benefit from this, except the utility executives who want there to be more power used wastefully. Efficiency, energy efficiency is one of these pure goods. There's no possible reason to be opposed to it. Keeps more energy available for us for the future. It despoils the environment less, saves you money. Like what what possible reason is there to oppose it? And now um, Scott Pruitt wants to, to zero out the Energy Star program. Oh, also it's voluntary. It's not even something which the government is imposing on people. It's entirely voluntary. It is just a it's a pointless, stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> so what you're saying is thing to do. I it's obscene. David's
0: a fan. <laughs> we, we've anyway, established
1: that. Uh, my second quick chatter is just a self serving one, which is uh, <laughs> as, as all I guess all my self chatters are self serving. Is uh, Atlas Obscura, as you know, my my wonderful. Um, Company, we we need a, a, con- a controller. We need someone to help us with accounting and <laughs> you finances. Got, you're
2: totally out of control.
1: <laughs> Somebody to control me. We we are a fast-growing startup, and we need someone who really like you know relishes the chance to help bring financial management to us and grow with the company. So if you're interested, uh, if you're someone who, who thinks you'd be a great controller for a great startup, contact me at david at atlasobscura.com.
0: Isn't a controller a thing that you get elected to be? Isn't that a funny thing? Well, that's a, word? Like, you can also yeah, get elected a, it's a to it. a
1: comptroller. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Never, and why, by the, the way, is it controller and an M? or are controllers and comptrollers the same thing? I think thing? they're the same, but we spell it with a C O N T, not a C O M P. But I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same. I, and I actually. Okay,
0: that is confusing, and someone needs to go figure it out and let us know the answer. It's
1: the person who does financial management, accounting, you know, keeps an eye on the books for something. Uh, for not to, for to be friends. confused with a librarian
0: or a financial manager.
1: Anyway, our intern is Kevin Townsend. Our producer is Jocelyn Franks. Franks, you're not Jocelyn Franks. You're Jocelyn Frank. Jocelyn, if only there were two of you, then there would be Jocelyn's Frank. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and, and if really they were, confusing. <laughs> is it Emily? Is it true that the attorney general is called general? You call the attorney yeah. general and Holder also some general Holder or General Solicitor General, too?
0: Uh, I think so.
1: Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. We call him Producer Lichtai. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer for Panoply. We probably call him General Bowers. Chief. 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 Hey, Chief. The GabFest is part of the Panoply network. We're at panoply.fm for all our podcasts there. Our show page is slate.com slash GabFest. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash GabFest. Twitter feed is at slategabfest. And our email address is gabfest at slate.com. Please remember, we've got a DC show on May 10th, Wednesday, May 10th. Go to slate.com live to get tickets. We'd love to see you there. For Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson, I'm David Plotz. We'll talk to you next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family